1: I want to tell you about Beer to Will, a 2,000 square kilometre stretch of desert between Egypt and Sudan that is remarkably the only sizable remaining piece of unclaimed land on Earth that isn't found in Antarctica. Also, apparently there are some bits of unclaimed land on the border between Croatia and Serbia. I don't know. How can this be possible when every last inch of the planet has been fought over, divided up, painted this or that colour on a map? How can an area roughly the size of the ACT or or the Hawaiian island of Maui, how can this have gone unclaimed? Well, it's a very interesting story, let me tell you, and it goes back over a century to the year 1882, when the British were engaged in their proud national pastime of invading, conquering and occupying other countries, in this case, Egypt. Egypt was under British control from 1882 until the 1950s, and it wasn't long after invading Egypt that the British looked to expand their power and influence further throughout this region. They had quite the fight on their hands as they uh, as they attempted to do this, as they pushed further south into Sudan, however, um, and were fu- were f- they were forced to withdraw in 1885 as the successful Mahdist revolt pushed the British out. But not for long, because like that rash you can't get rid of, the, uh, the British came back a decade later, and between 1896 and 1898, Sudan was also brought under British control. So, with the region secured, the British now had to administer it, and this is how Beer was first created. Generally speaking, when European powers carved up the territories that they conquered and colonised, they did so by drawing great big long straight lines across maps, Uh, Very convenient for the cartographers, of course, who are living life on easy street with this approach, just get the ruler out, job done, but uh, not so convenient for the, you know, people that lived in these places. These borders were drawn up without any consideration whatsoever for the ethnic or cultural makeup of the people that lived on either side of them. Communities were divided at the stroke of a cartographer's pen. To put it in terms that uh, that might sort of illustrate just how ridiculous this was, right? Imagine, for instance, um, conquering Europe, right, and redrawing its map. Instead of using the Pyrenees to divide France and Spain, let's just draw a straight line along the 43rd parallel north because it's close enough, right? No more squiggly lines across mountaintops to worry about. Nice and neat. Except now the Spanish city of Bilbao is part of France and the French town of Perpignan is part of Spain and Andorra is, uh, well, honestly, who knows? So obviously we look at that and we go, well, that's no good. Obviously it won't do it all. It doesn't make any sense to divide up established communities, cultures, nations, language groups. This is, all this is going to do is cause chaos. Whose idea was this? But this is what colonization did. And it's also what brought about Bia Will. Check it out. Initially in 1899, when the British divided Egypt Egypt and Sudan, they did so by drawing a great big straight line uh, right along the 22nd parallel north, chopping this newly conquered territory into, just like that, easy peasy, except it was neither easy nor was it peasy because it cut people off from their traditional communities, the people with whom they had had cultural and ethnic links for centuries upon centuries. North of the 22nd parallel, a roughly triangular area of land known as the Halayb Triangle was given over to Egypt, despite the fact that the the, the Beja people that lived there had much stronger ties to, to Sudan. Meanwhile, Bia Tawil, an area south of the 22nd parallel, was given over to Sudan, despite the Ababda tribe based near the Egyptian city of Aswan using it as grazing land. So the British had stuffed up there um, and people weren't pleased, as you might imagine. There's, you know, first the whole business with the conquest and now there's the lazy cartography, bloody hell. However, in a surprising turn of events, the British actually listened to to the complaints that people had and they attempted to reverse the decision that they'd made to draw up the border in this way. In 1902 the border between Egypt and Sudan was redrawn, this time to have the Halaib Triangle become part of Sudan, reflecting the cultural ties of the Beja people that lived there, while Bir Tawil was given over to Egypt. It also gave a small area known as the Wadi Halfa salient to Sudan, but that doesn't really come into the story because these days it's mostly water. It's flooded by a lake called, well, called either Lake Nasser or Lake Nubia, depending on whether you ask the Egyptians or the Sudanese. Anyway, Did this 1902 redraw solve the problem? Was everyone happy with this arrangement? Of course they bloody weren't. No, absolutely not, because this this new redivision heavily favoured Sudan, who were given an area that not only greatly expanded their access to the Red Sea, not only contained valuable resources, not only was permanently inhabited, but also wasn't, you know, a sparse stretch of essentially uninhabitable desert. So it didn't matter too much uh, in the years that followed, even though there was some minor stoushing about where the border was and what it represented. It didn't matter too much while both Egypt and Sudan were under British control. But as we skip forward now to the 1950s, when both Egypt and Sudan gained independence from Britain, the issue of the border came up again like never before. And here's the reason why. Egypt claimed the original 1899 border, the straight line, as this gave them the Halaib Triangle, which they wanted, and lost them control of Bir Tawil, which they didn't, I guess. Uh, meanwhile, Sudan stuck with the redraw of 1902 for exactly the same reasons. They wanted the Halab Triangle and they didn't care about they didn't care about Bir Tawil. Okay, you're thinking, so fine, the issue isn't Bir Tawil, it's actually the Halaib Triangle, so why does Bir Tawil matter at all? Who cares who does or does not claim it? Well, the reason, exalted listener, that Be'er Tawil is so important is because the moment that either Egypt or Sudan claims Be'er Tawil for themselves, it essentially voids their claim on the Halab triangle. Think about it: the two different borders, right—the straight line across the twenty-second parallel or the squiggly one. These two different borders give the Halab triangle to one side and Be'er Tawil to the other. So, if you decide to claim Be'a Tawil, you're essentially accepting the border arrangement that gave it to you, which necessarily means you don't get the Halaib Triangle. So, this is not a might as well situation. It's not a situation where the the, the nations go, well, yeah, look, we'll we'll take Bia Tawil and the Halaib Triangle. No, it's an either-or situation. You can't claim Bia Tawil without losing the Halaib Triangle under the two different precedents that were set, firstly in 1899 and then secondly in 1902. Which leads us to a very, very interesting situation indeed, where this stretch of desert is not just unclaimed, but actively being avoided by both nations. It's not that they don't care about Be'er to will They actually are vigorously shunning any perceived claim that they have to the land. Over the years, both nations have very aggressively pursued their claims to the Haleb Triangle. In 1958, Sudan pressed its claim by attempting to hold elections there, and the president of Egypt at the time, Gamal Abdel Nasser, sent in the Egyptian army. He sent the army south to the border regions to intimidate Sudan. However, this didn't. This didn't go down too well uh, internationally speaking and uh, NASA withdrew the troops before very long and Sudan was able to build up its influence in the Halaib Triangle in the decades that followed. However, on a technical level, the Halaib Triangle was under the joint administration of both Egypt and Sudan for a long time uh, until, that is, Sudan's power began to wane around the 1990s. Egypt leapt at the chance to strengthen their position in the Halaib Triangle and today has de facto control of the region, blocking any and all Sudanese efforts to keep a foothold there. And as a result, with the the cut and thrust of international diplomacy keeping everyone's focus and attention on the Halaib Triangle, people have just kind of forgotten about Bia Tawil because, again, no one wants it. You can very easily attempt to project power into a region, but it is much more difficult uh, to attempt to project a lack of power. You you can't do much more than nothing. Or actually no, I guess I guess you can't do much less than nothing, really. I suppose that's a better way to put it. So with both nations claiming the Halab Triangle, um, with no way to also claim Beer to Will, with both nations claiming that Beer to Will belongs to the other nation. We reach a stalemate. It is not very often that nations uh, end up in conflict because they are both insisting that a parcel of land belongs to the other nation. Usually it is the exact opposite of that situation. But here we are. The stalemate continues through to this very day. Both Egypt and Sudan remain firm in their claims on the Halaib Triangle and and, and, and the Wadi Halfa Salient, for, for what it's worth. Um, and they remain firm in their, I don't know. Anti-claim on Birtawil, their insistence that it belongs to the other nation. And um, with no one else laying claim to the region, Birtawil remains one of the only remaining areas on Earth that is actively and quite enthusiastically unclaimed by anyone. Plenty of jokesters and japesters have claimed it from afar, and uh, some have gone even further than that. Um, In 2014, an American man named Jeremiah Heaton drove all the way there to personally put up a flag and claim the territory as his own, uh, as the Kingdom of North Sudan, with the stated reason of making his daughter a princess. So uh, isn't that just a wonderful example of both uh, a very sweet and caring father and also an example of the proud traditions of American neo-imperialism being passed down through the generations and being acted upon by everyday Americans. Honestly, Heaton, was an absolute wacko. Uh, not only did he kick up a, a huge and honestly quite justified fuss about Western imperialism, uh, both historical and contemporary, He also actually attempted to legitimize his new kingdom, uh, launching a crowdfunding effort and offering corporations the opportunity to operate there tax free. As though that's uh, not already something that they enjoy without having to headquarter themselves in inhospitable desert. Uh, anyway, others have travelled there to lay claim to the land too. You can go to beer tawilcom and you can read about how it actually belongs to a Russian bloke styling himself as King the First. Quick note, Dmitry, you don't actually put the first after your name as a king until there has been a second. But hey, look, you know. He's doing his best. Um this website is ridiculous. I do I do recommend you uh, you it a visit. Not only is there an entire section written uh, to discredit Heaton's equally invalid claim, uh, the website is also filled with stock photos and lorem ipsum placeholder text, uh, links that go nowhere and uh, uh, most entertainingly, a warning that quote <coughs> visiting kingdom of beer to will registered trademark requires additional visa arranged prior to your travels. However, as far as I could tell, there is no way to obtain such a visa, so I certainly hope that the Kingdom of Beer to Will Registered Trademarks Immigration Police don't arrest me on the spot as I'm wandering through the desert. Um, in any case, all of these spurious claims that have been laid to Beer to will, they've gone thoroughly unrecognized by essentially everyone everywhere, and so the stalemate continues, and the story of Beer to will remains unresolved. Unclaimed by both Egypt and Sudan, it is occasionally used as tribal grazing land. There are a couple of enormously optimistic miners who sometimes head there hoping to find gold but otherwise beer to will lacks a permanent population in fact the only people who really truly claim it as their own are still the Ababda tribe there's disputed territory everywhere that's not new but it is very unusual for nations to actively claim that land does not belong to them and instead belongs to their neighbors but for the foreseeable future, that is the fate of Bir unclaimed, largely uninhabited, and unpainted by cartographers. It's an interesting quirk of history, a legacy of the colonial past of the region. And until Old Mate Dimitri I gets his act together and starts issuing visas, it really doesn't look as though much is going to change.